Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So those who have been called, who were loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgments on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishments of eternal fire. In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with, with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have, been, they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory 
majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you tonight. And you're going to need that letter of Jude open in front of you. It's a lot to do in one go. Some people do attempt it, uh, but I wouldn't advise there. That Bible project video in seven and a half minutes is a lot to take in. So we're going to do it in three, uh, which I hope will be more manageable. So we're just going to do the first seven verses tonight. Then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do the next bit down to where there's the break to a call to persevere. And then our final week, we'll just look at those wonderful few verses together. So that's the plan. And I will see where the Lord leads us. As I've been thinking about Jude, he reminds me a bit of a sheriff from a Western. I know some of you love Westerns and know way more about it than I do. Uh, this is to me, Sheriff Jude comes to town. I want you to imagine a wild West town, you know, the kind of thing with one street down the middle with a saloon and the bar and the bank. It's that sort of town. Uh, it's a wealthy and prosperous town in the wild West. But there's a problem. Newcomers have come in from the big city and they've taken up residence in the town. And they say they share the same values as the townspeople, the values of truth and love and justice and mercy, but they've just taken them a bit further. So they come in with a message of let love be love because God is love. So all love is good, right? And truth, well, everyone's got their own version of the truth. Let's have lots of truth. Everyone with their own, let's call it my truth and see where that leads us. And they're big on justice for people that have been victims in the past. And there's no mercy whatsoever for the wealthy or those who have been perpetrators of crimes or those who are privileged. No mercy for them. And the townspeople are just glad to be a growing town because so many towns are shrinking. And it's good to be in a town where new people are coming all the time. And there are more and more new people. And that can only be good, right? And so the fact that the bar is busier than it's ever been, and there are rumors upstairs that a brothel's opened, well, they, they don't look too deeply into those things because they're just glad they're not one of those shrinking towns. They're a growing town where more and more people come, especially young people. And who doesn't want more young people in their town? And then one day, a lone gunman rides in on his horse. He's got a sheriff's badge on, and his name is Jude. And he approaches the townspeople, and he calls a meeting in the town hall. And he says, these newcomers, I've seen their type before, and this town just ain't big enough for the both of us. And he explains that if they leave these newcomers in here, then their bank, which isn't full of money, but it's full of the things they treasure most, love and truth, justice and mercy will be emptied by these newcomers and the town itself will be destroyed. Jude looks over his shoulder and says, if you're with me, saddle up because we need to ride out the truth, justice, love and mercy, the real thing. Sheriff Jude. And as we work through these things, what we're going to see is that Jude is calling God's people in the first century, not in the wild west, but across Christendom, across all those places where the gospel had gone and was known to actually stand for the truth. Who was he? Who was this guy, Jude? Well, if you're watching the Gospel Project video carefully, 
Gave you some good clues, but first one helps us. One, his name is Jude. His name is actually Judah, and it's the same one from which we get the word Judas. So in Mark's gospel, I think I remembered to put this one in the PowerPoint. There's, it's here. When Jesus was in Nazareth in his hometown, the crowd said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, who's mentioned at the start of this letter? Joseph, Judas, that's Jude, and Simon. On his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. So to stop people getting confused between the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, traditionally he's been known as Jude. There's something different, so we know who we're talking about. But it's actually Judah uh, in the, as they said on the Bible Project video. How does he describe himself? I love it. A servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James. You might think it would go a bit further, wouldn't you? And half brother of Jesus. Just, just saying, just putting that out there, just in case you wanted to know what he was like before he was 30, I can give you the lowdown. But he doesn't. And I think he deliberately didn't because my understanding is that people thought they were special, his half brothers. And I think what he wanted to remind people was everyone comes through into the kingdom the same way. You see, when they said these things and they were accusing Jesus of being ordinary, none of his brothers believed in him. Throughout the gospel, throughout the gospel story, none of the brothers were supporters of Jesus or thought he was really the Messiah. They were always encouraging him out of a heart of unbelief, as Simon was teaching on this morning. And yet, after Jesus died on the cross and after he rose again, in the very first chapter of Acts, we find that Mary and the brothers are all in the upper room. The resurrections convinced them. And there's one verse in scripture, which I didn't pick up on until this week, which tells us what they did next. And it's this one from Corinthians. Paul is basically saying that he should be allowed to get paid and have a wife if that's what he wants to do. And he says this, I love this line. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and, this is the phrase I never noticed before, the Lord's brothers and Peter. So after they were saved, they went around like Paul and Peter did, teaching people and pointing them to Jesus Christ. They were like missionaries. And that's where Jude's heart for these churches comes from. He's been traveling, he shared the gospel, and now he can see it's under threat. Before we get any further, I know that in this room, because I know most of you pretty well, one of the things that grieves you often is that you have unbelieving family members. I think, how can it not grieve us? You know, if we have children who don't love Jesus, how can that not grieve us? If we have parents, brothers and sisters. And what I've noticed when I talk to most of us is we feel pretty guilty about that. There's a part of us that just thinks, if only I wasn't such a rubbish Christian, they would believe. If only I was more faithful. If only I was more holy. If only I didn't lose my temper so often and, and didn't say the wrong thing. If only I was better at explaining things. Because whenever I try and explain it, I just get muddled. You ever feel like that? And a lot of you do feel enormously sad. In our refresh group, every week we pray for unbelieving family members one way or another. I say this as a word of encouragement to you, two things. Do you know what? Jesus didn't make any mistakes in his witness. His brothers watched him turn water into wine. 
and still they refused to believe. But the most amazing thing is when Jesus rose from the dead and God put his hand on them, they fully believed. And then they went as evangelists to the churches. The salvation of your loved ones rests with your father in heaven. He makes no mistakes and he works through thoroughly imperfect people like you and me. So don't give up praying as Simon said this morning. You don't know where their story ends. Keep praying because it's not down to you. The Lord himself was a perfect witness to his family. And yet it was in the Lord's timing that they came to save in faith. So that's Jude. And uh, what's his purpose? Is that a, why does he um, want to write to these churches? Well, he wants them to contend for the truth. He writes widely to those who have been called, who are loved in God and kept for Jesus. It's a general letter. Lots say to the church in Ephesus or Philippi or Corinth, not this one. This is for all Christians in all places at all times from the Lord's half-brother, servant of Jesus Christ, to you and me and every generation till he comes again. What does uh, Jude want us to do? Three things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've really rolled on this this time. Uh, watch this. So we're going to contend. He wants us to contend for the good. He wants us to fight against the bad. And he wants us to know the ugly warnings from history. So you might even remember tonight's sermon. You never know. The good, the bad, the ugly might carry you through. So the first thing he wants us to do is contend for the good. So Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. One of the things you're going to see is that Jude loves threes. When I was growing up, my aunt and uncle weren't Christians. All my aunts and uncles, my dad's side of the family, yeah, actually all of them, uh, were saved in their 40s. So I always found that a hopeful thing. I remember them all coming to faith. And I remember before they were saved, my uncle David, one of his favorite expressions was, trouble always comes in threes. So two things would go wrong on a family holiday, and we'd all be on the lookout for number three to whack us. We just gone boating holidays. So they were usually quite bad things that had gone wrong. Trouble usually comes in threes. Well, Jude finds everything in threes. He'd have been a great modern day preacher with three points to his sermon, because there's three of everything in his letter. He collects threes. So you've got three things about being a Christian. One in the past, one in the present, one in the future. Okay, past, he says, those who are Christians are called by God. You did not save yourself. You did not bring yourself into the kingdom of God by being good. The only thing we bring to the party is our sin. But there's a moment in our lives where God calls us, where actually it's irresistible. We, we just want to know Jesus more. Some of us know when that was in our lives. I know I was 17 and three quarters years old at Easter in 1991 when the Lord called me. Others of you don't know when it was, and you're not alone. I love it when Don Carson tells this story. Don has had a huge influence on the global church, and he says, I don't know when the Lord called me. He said, it may have been when I was a small child. He said, I had faith in Jesus then. It may have been when I was a teenager. It may have been when I was a bit older. I don't know. He said, one of the questions I'd love to ask God when I get to heaven is, when did you actually save me? But some of you wonder that. And he said, I expect to know what God's answer is. He said, I expect he'll tell me I saved you in eternity past. And that's enough for you to know, Don. Uh, but anyway, 
That's one of the things he would like to know. But if you're here tonight and you're following Jesus, he called you. He called you by name, differently to everyone else in the whole universe. Each of us has our own story of being called into a loving relationship with the living God in our past. And the present is his love. It says here, those who've been called, second thing, those who are loved, what would you expect it to say next? Wouldn't you expect to say by? By God the Father? That would make sense, wouldn't it? We're loved by God the Father. That's true. Jude doesn't say that. He says we're loved in God the Father. It's almost as if God is our safe place. He's our home. I love the Good News translation of Psalm 90 written by Moses, says, Lord, you've always been our home. It's almost like that's the place where we're loved. God is the place where we're loved. In fact, Jesus put it like this in, the, in John's gospel. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Very important for Jude. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Isn't that just the most lovely image in the whole wide world? That God will love you so much, he wouldn't just forgive your sin. He wouldn't just say, you can have a home with me in heaven after you die. Say, look, we're going to come to you now. We're going to take up residence in you. We're going to make our home in your life and your heart. That's how much God loves you. It's unique. It's a wonderful thing that should inspire us to praise and worship. So in the past, God called us. In the present, he's with us. He loves us so much. He's made his home in us. He's become our safe space. And we're kept for Jesus Christ. When God begins a good work in someone, he carries it on to completion. He doesn't leave us as we are. He keeps working in us. In fact, that's where Jude finishes. Just flip the page. That's the way we're going to finish at the end. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Because we have a God who called you in the past, who loves you in the present, and has saved you for a glorious future, and he will keep you, and he will hold you fast. That's good news, isn't it? That's the good he's contending for. And he then says, and there's more, because if you're someone who God saved in the past by calling you into his family, somebody he loves and he's made his home, someone he's, he's got a plan for that's going to carry you through this life into eternity, he says, God's got three gifts for you. He would have, wouldn't he? For Jude, it had to be three. So he picks three out. He says, he's got mercy, peace, and love for you. So he will never, ever treat you as your sin deserves. He will always treat you with mercy. We need that, don't we? Because every day we sin and we do things against God and against others that would otherwise shame us and we could be crushed. But God has promised to forgive in abundance. And he's promised you peace in abundance. There is a peace that comes when we first become Christians, that we're no longer at war with God. We're in a peaceful relationship with him. But I don't think you can have that in an abundance. I think that's something you get as a one-off, once-for-all gift. So what's he talking about here? Well, I think it's more what Paul talks about in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a peace we can grow in, isn't it? 
I had an amazing experience today talking to someone in our church who's dying. She is really suffering. And as I chatted to her in the car park this morning, she simply said to me, Neil, I feel completely at peace. That's peace in abundance. That's peace that inspires me to want to get closer to God because I worry about so much. And here's someone who could have the weight of the world on her shoulders and said to me, Neil, I feel completely at peace. I was utterly moved by her testimony. There's a God here who gives abundant mercy, abundant peace, and abundant love. Because there's a God who loved you so much, he gave his one and only son for you. So whatever else he gives is less than that. If he holds something back from you, that's because it's not for your good. It would ruin you to be given that thing. Because if he loved you so much, he gave you Jesus. He won't hold back anything that's for your good and his glory ever. He's promised. So we have a God who gives us this abundant gospel treasure. And I love that Jude says, I really want to write more on these things. These are what really inspire me and get me out of bed in the morning. And that should be the same for us. As we operate in a culture that's increasingly hostile to certain things that we believe, we must never get sucked into just becoming debate club or getting angry or forgetting that we've got great things to share. We've got a God who calls people into family. We've got a God who loves. We've got a God who secured the future. We've got great things to share. And so we should want to talk about those things with other people and actually make sure they know what we really believe. Most of them don't have a clue. So when you start talking about them, they get very moved. I was talking at Trobish Rugby Club on Friday night, 60 guys, mix of Christians and non-Christians. You know, they just don't know what we believe. To see people listening, to see the wonder of, of resurrection life, of life beyond the grave. They don't know about these things, and we can share them. And Jude says, I was really eager to write to you about the salvation. We share these great blessings. Then he says this, but I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He wants us to contend for the good, but also we need to stand and fight against what's bad. Second thing here, verses three and four. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Although the Bible project video says, these guys' teaching wasn't off and we don't really know what it was. Their teaching was off. Because what Jude says here is, we've got to contend for the faith. Now, that's not talking about my faith or your faith. It's not the personal reaction to the faith. Faith there is shorthand for the gospel. That was once for all entrusted to whom? God's holy people. So the gospel itself is a message that was given once by the apostles by those who Jesus entrusted as witnesses to his resurrection. And that was shared as a body of truth that was known, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, was fully man, fully God, that he died on a cross as the God man for our sins, that he rose again three days later, just as he said, and then he ascended into heaven where today he is at the right hand of God the Father. He sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts by faith until that day when he comes again. That is once for all truth, of the gospel 
And we don't get to mess around with that. It was given once for all. All of God's people, that is the treasure. That's what's in the bank in the town where we live. And we can't give that up because there is no other way by which people can be saved except by knowing and cherishing that truth. And don't you love that it's not entrusted to me? Did you see that? Once we're entrusted to church leaders, no. Once we're all entrusted to the Pope, not in a million years. Once we're all entrusted to smart, clever people and academics and those sorts of people, no. Who's it entrusted to? Us all. Everyone who trusts in Jesus, this is the treasure. This is the deposit. And that's what makes us God's holy people, set apart for his purpose, his pleasure, his will. But then Jude says there's a problem. Certain individuals, not the fact he doesn't bother naming them. Do you see that? He could have called them out. This, but this isn't about personalities. This is about truth. He says certain people whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. It wasn't obvious to the church this had happened. If they come in with their Ouija board and kind of like idol factory, probably they would have realized. But these people just sat in amongst you, me. People accepted them just as they were. And Jude says there's a problem here because they're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus our only sovereign and Lord. I wonder if he puts in that last bit, who deny Jesus our only sovereign and Lord, as a hint as to where they were going wrong. You see, we have no authority greater than Jesus, do we? If you've got a problem, like Simon said this morning, you've got a question, the answer nearly always to every question of faith we have is found by looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And it seems in this letter, do you see how many times angels are mentioned? It's a lot for a short letter. And I think these false teachers were saying there's authority. Yeah, the, the apostles' teaching's good. But hey, look at verse 8. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams. Oh, I had a dream. And if you go to a Christian bookshop, not a very good one, you will find shelves packed with people's dreams my journey to heaven what say a small boy who later turns out to be completely bogus um but you'll get books and they sell heaven tourism is a great industry because christians lap it up millions of copies sold of this complete tosh dreams fantasy but given such credence turn into films my journey to heaven my day out with Abraham, you know, whatever it is. And people lap it up because it's novel and it's new. And Jude says, no, no, there's no authority above what Jesus taught us, what the apostles gave us. That's our authority. We can't deviate from that. But it's not just that they think these things, they appeal to angels as their authority. It's their lifestyle, just as the video said, that gives them away. They're people that pervert the grace of God. It's a license immorality what does that look like you've been watching any of the debates for the church of england and its faithful soul perverting the grace of god into a license for immorality here's how that works god is so loving and kind he accepts everybody as they are 
You don't need to change. Come on in. Sleep with whoever you like because God is love and you love one another and you're sort of committed. You know, sort of commitment's plenty enough these days. God's, God's been on a journey and he's sort of changed his position and he's now embracing all. It's complete rubbish. It's turning the grace of God, you see, it's twisting it into a license for immorality. The grace of God does not provoke sin ever. The grace of God makes us want to be holy people. If I said, I love Susan, but I sleep with every other woman I meet with, you would have every reason to doubt that my words, I love Susan, mean nothing. Someone who says, I love Jesus, and then lives as they please us, doesn't know him. If you live as you please, you love yourself. You can wear whatever label you like, but you love yourself. You don't love him. To love Jesus, you see, is not to pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. It's to take what the Bible says seriously. First and foremost, for ourselves. Do you see, this isn't pointing out there at the world. We often do that, don't we? And kind of think, oh, we've got to kind of sort out society. Good luck. The Bible doesn't say that here, does it? It says, you've got to look after yourselves. You know, you've got to actually be those who stick to the truth of God's word, whatever's happening out there, and don't let people come in and lead you astray. Here's the thing. The whole Christian position on sex and sexuality is 4,000 years old. At least. Some of you who've got different theories on the age of the earth will go back further. But I'm the safe ground at 4000 BC in the time of Abraham. From then on and established before then is the pattern the Bible established as God's word and truth. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Have we suddenly become much smarter in the last 10 years than any other place and any other uh, time in history? Have we suddenly uncovered something in God's word that everyone else in the whole of human history was blind to? And that our brothers and sisters in Africa today are calling us out on. Because they won't give in to white liberal culture. They won't be lectured by the Archbishop of Canterbury, a white wimp. They will not. And so the majority of the Anglican communion live in Africa and are female and are about 30 years of age. And they are defending the truth. They are. The question for us is, will we stand with them? Or will we yield to the culture? Will we give in? Only do it if you're convinced we've discovered something in the last 10 years that no one else in human history knew and no one else in the majority world today accepts as okay either. If you really think that's a credible intellectual position, well, then maybe you need to find another church because we are never going that way on my watch. Jude calls this out. It happened in the first century. People have always mistaken God's grace for an uncaringness towards sin, but his hatred towards sin stands. And Jude knew that because he draws our attention as we finish tonight to three warnings from history. 
He says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you. And then he gives us three stories to remind us. The Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. First story, first of his trilogy, always threes, plus a bonus one in this section, but three stories in a row, all with the same point. The Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. You know the story, most of you, don't you? You've known it since you were children. There they were, slaves in Egypt. God raised up Moses. There were 10 plagues that fell on Egypt. The last one was the Passover, and out came that generation, probably a couple of million of them including some Egyptians who also said, we believe, get me out of here. And yet when their faith was tested in the desert, many of them showed they never really trusted the Lord. They were part of the people, but in their hearts, they didn't belong. And so they were destroyed. Here's the thing. The fact that God keeps us is no license for complacency. God keeps his own to the end. Does that mean you don't have to do anything? Here's one of those mysterious paradoxes of scripture. No, the Bible says, make every effort to be holy. Make every effort to press on deeper into his mercy and his love and his peace. He wants you to do that. He doesn't want any of you lost in the wilderness. One of the saddest things in the whole wide world is that when someone's baptized and then a few years later, you just don't know where they are. We've all seen it, haven't we? Or there's someone who's passionate about Jesus in their 20s, in their 30s, their career, money, just takes over their life. The passion they once had for Jesus is gone. Where will they be when they're 40 or 50 or 60? Do you know what? Sometimes by the time people die, you can't tell if they love Jesus at all. We have to say, Lord, we don't know. You preach a funeral saying, here's the gospel, but I don't know if this person believed it. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Whatever your age, go deeper. Say tonight, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper into God's mercy, deeper into God's love, deeper into God's peace. Lord, keep me to the end. Keep me going. Give me a zeal for you. So that's the first story. The second story is this. And the angels who do not keep their positions of authority but abandon their proper dwelling, these is kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. The Bible Project picks out a very strange story in Genesis chapter 6, where angels come down from heaven and have sex with women. It's a very strange story. You can read it for yourself. About half the decent commentators, so I'm t- I've not read all the decent commentators, but I've listened to a few things this week. About half the decent commentators throughout history have gone down that route, and about half have gone down another, which is the one I'm going down. But you, you can go either way, and it kind of makes the same point. I think the story Jude is probably going for is one that we don't fully have in the Bible. There's, there's a hint of it in Isaiah 14. And it happens in the blank space between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. For those of you lost, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates the world. It's very good. There's no sin, no evil. And the question then remains is, how does Satan turn up in chapter 3? Ever wondered? Where, Where did he come from? Well, we're not actually told, are we, at that point? There's a hint in Isaiah chapter 14. You can look it up for yourselves later. It describes a heavenly rebellion. 
And I think that's what Jude is talking about, but he could be talking about Genesis chapter six. You can decide for yourself. The big point is this, what were angels created to do? They're supposed to be ministering spirits that serve God. They bring messages. They help people like you and me, even if we're not aware of them. Believe in angels. When you get to glory, you might find out all the times you were helped, all the times you met one and didn't even know. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? But most, we're not supposed to go looking for angels. That's another false route that people go down or messages from angels. My angel diary. If you write it, you will make money, but I won't be buying a copy. Uh, so, uh, that's what, so there's an interest in these things. But the angels, you see, wouldn't keep their place. And it says that Satan basically tried to push God off his throne. And so that's a dangerous game to play. And it didn't go well for Satan or these fallen angels. It now says, doesn't it? that the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these are now kept in chains, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. When Jesus comes again, they're going to be judged and lost for all eternity. You know, you and I, we have a moment of decision. If you're here tonight and you've not yet decided what you think about Jesus, tonight's another opportunity for you to do that. Somewhere between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, in that blank space, the angels were given a moment. They were given a moment to decide if they would worship God for all eternity or if they'd rebel against him. About a third, probably, the Bible's not absolutely clear on this, decided to turn against God Almighty and usurp his position. But look how it ends for them. Because the way it ends for them is the way it will end for you if you don't put your trust in Jesus. That is a big price to pay. And Jude's not finished. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding towns, gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So his third and final example here is of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can look it up in Genesis chapter 19, if you wish. Again, Jude says, I'm reminding you. Probably many of you know that story is on the Bible Project video. It's, it's graphic and it's, it's a horrible story of sexual perversion. There's no mercy shown to that city. Those who indulge in those things, those who don't follow what God says is right, who do complete evil, are destroyed and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Hell is real. Jesus Christ said so. And the amazing thing is out of love, he came to rescue people like you and me from what we deserve and give us something so much better. You know, as we finish here tonight, these are really serious things. This is a a serious letter when Roger came in tonight, he said, I'm surprised to see you smiling this evening. I said, when the time comes, I won't be. You see, brothers and sisters, we've been given treasure. The most glorious treasure in the whole world. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth by which ordinary people like us who mess up time and again are saved by the mercy of God, shown his love, brought into his family. What you need to do, you need to keep applying that truth the same way as I do to my own heart. 
That's where we begin to keep the town safe. Because we say, Lord, if it's not down to if it's down to me, I'll walk off the path. But if it's down to you, you can keep me going. Help me to take the next step. Help me to grow in obedience and love for you. But here's the other thing we have to do. We're not to ape the world out there. We don't bend to what they say is right and okay. That has never been our way. Our way is to stand for the truth and contend for the faith and to draw people in. There will be people who will hate us. There will be people who will malign us. There will be people who say we're intolerant and people of hate, and it's a lie. If you think I hate people, then call me out. If you see me treating someone unreasonably, call me out. And when you want me to do the same to you, if I think you're a bigot, but we're not, are we? We're not those people. We actually love, and we want people to experience the love of God. And so we stick to this to say, come and see something better. Come and see something different. Whatever your background, whatever your sexuality, whatever your struggles, there's something better here for you. And here's the last thing. Many churches are selling out at the moment, and it's going to continue. It's the easy way. It's the wide path that leads to destruction. And the narrow way is going to be hard and costly. But here's the other thing we have to do. If Christ doesn't come again, we have the treasure and we pass it on to the next generation. The people who are twisting the truth within churches, you know what they're doing? They're destroying the treasure and they're passing hell onto the next generation. If you think that is more loving, go to one of those churches. Go there. But if you take the truth seriously, if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to hold this truth and pass it carefully to the next generation so that they can pass it to the next, so that they can pass it to the next. God has always had a faithful remnant in every generation. It mustn't end here. His spirit will abandon all those who abandon the truth. But if we contend for the truth of the gospel, who knows what he might do among us for the good of our nation, the glory of Jesus, and the eternal salvation of many. Let's pray. Father God, these are deep and challenging truths. And Lord, I know just like Simon said this morning, how easy I can cave in, how bold I can be in here, and how rubbish and weak I can be when it's really costly for me. So Lord, I pray you'd forgive me, show mercy to me. Lord, help me to really believe these things and be willing to talk about them kindly, gently, graciously, but firmly when I need to. Lord, I pray the same that for my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, for any here tonight who aren't yet safe in Christ, any here who are facing that judgment that fell on Israel, on the angels, and on Sodom and Gomorrah, Father, I pray that tonight you would show them Christ and the wonders of your love. Thank you that we have a God who is as he is in Jesus, and therefore there is hope for us all. And we pray in his name. Amen.
going to finish tonight with communion, which is just a great place to finish, I think, a day like today, where Simon was talking about unbelief this morning. And we've been talking about some really serious and sobering things tonight. And yeah, when we look at the cross, we remember, don't we, the price of sin, the Christ went through death and hell for people like you and me. For anyone who turns to him in repentance and faith, that we might know grace and forgiveness, a mercy from God that's never failing, a forgiveness for our sin. And he did that because he loves sinners. We're all in the same boat. It's not there are bad people out there and good people in here. It's rubbish. There are those who sin and are saved by grace. And there are those who sin and think they can save themselves. That's the difference. And if you're here tonight and you love Jesus, if you're here tonight and you know that he died on that cross for you, if you're here tonight and you've received his mercy and you've experienced his love and you're sure because he's promised that when you die, you'll be with him in glory forever, then what a place to finish tonight with the bread and with the juice that we have here that reminds us of the broken body of Jesus. He did that for you. He shed his blood for you. He was the only one without sin, and yet God made him sin so that in him, you and I might become the very righteousness of God. It's an amazing thing. It's the great exchange. It's the wonder of the gospel. And if you're here tonight and you love him, why don't you take a piece of that bread now? Hold it in your hands. It's the touch of God himself. Ordinary bread, ordinary juice, the touch of God that says Christ died for me in my place, bearing my sin, my shame. He did that because he loves me. Brothers and sisters, why don't you eat? and be thankful of the father when jesus picked up the cup he said it was a covenant that was written in his blood it's an amazing thought isn't it that the son of god would shed his blood for people like you and me and then i love what he says he says i won't drink this this fruit of the vine with you again until i see you in my father's kingdom and I love the fact that one day we will be at the table of the king, feasting with him. And so we can today look forward to that day because we're kept by the blood of the lamb. There's no force in all creation. If you love him, that can separate you from love. Even death itself is just a doorway to something so much better. So brothers and sisters, if you love him, drink and be thankful. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.